And he gets this one in the air to center field, but Siri should have room on the warning track at the wall, and it's out of here! Mark Vientos with the carry! Two-run homer to tie the game! That thing just kept going! Second Major League home run. He hits one in his first big league game of the season and gives the Mets the spark they need. This game is tied at two. And he drives one. Deep left field. That goes really. That ball's out of here. And the game is tied. Off the facing of the second deck, Francisco Alvarez brings the Mets back from the brink with a three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth to tie the game at five. The rookies have stepped front and center. Vientos a two-run homer in the seventh. Alvarez a three-run homer in the ninth to get the Mets even. Alonzo drives one. Deep left field. Really going back. It's <laughs> out of here. And the Mets win it. Into the second deck. Alonzo a three-run shot. And the Mets walking off for the first time this year. The way baseball works, you kind of have to come up in that spot against your old team. Uh, the way God works. Um, it's a special day, um, but I just love that we got a W. No matter who's on the other side. Um, and props to my teammates. It's the way they grind. They kept us in the game. Um, the pitchers were really good. Um, Nemo's a bat. Um, Bientos, the, the baby bats. Um, they're they're fun to watch and. Yeah, just, without them, I don't come up in the, in the 10th, and that doesn't happen, so um, props to them. And now the go-ahead run will come to the plate, and it will be Jose Ramirez. Ramirez on the ground, Lindor in the hole to second, to first, and Lindor and McNeil combine on it, and a gem from Verlander as he... Outduels Bieber and the Mets win it two to one. Nice to see Verlander uh, so well tonight. Verlander and Max, both of them. Um, it was extremely, extremely nice. Um, and just in the bullpen, you know. Yeah, they gave gave up a couple of runs, but still they pitched well. Um, it was just a couple of hits, um, a couple of hits that were literally in the right spot, kind of like my last swing, my last base hit. It was in the right spot. Um, it, overall, it was great baseball for the New York Mets, um, and we stuck together, and yeah, now we, we are we are on a high right now, we just gotta um, try to continue to stay in the high, um, celebrate each other's success, and then turn the page, you know, focus on the on the Cubs, as soon as we land in, in, in Chicago, focus on the Cubs. of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, May the 22nd, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you're showing up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. No G, 
Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can also get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Before I introduce the show, before I get to anything, I mean, again, come and see on a Monday, the weather wreaking havoc with the Talking Mets podcast. Thought about coming to you in between games after the doubleheader. Not the way we do things, and I'm glad I didn't because what a fun Sunday night. What a fun way to recap uh, or cap a great week of baseball. One of the best weeks of the season, probably the best week of the season, after feeling so much malaise with this New York Mets team. I come to you on a Monday. My my way of starting the show, and here's my big question, and nobody, and somebody who I who I I knew was at the game last night, and I've been meaning to ask this, and if you could tweet at me at Mike Silva Media, or or send me a, uh, an email Mike Silva at No G, let me know after the Mets win at home, are they playing Mojo Rising? Now are they only doing it for walk offs, or are they doing it after every win? If that's the case. They're doing a little 1999 Mets redux over there, trying to grab some magic from Mets history, which I'll tell you is a pretty cool thing. Now, the 99 Mets are, in my lifetime so far, I don't know about yours, maybe the most fun season I've ever rooted for the Mets. I have to be honest. Better than 2015, better than 06. Funny how it's better than 2000, and that 2000 team went went further. 99 was just a Fun, fun summer. Me personally, just graduating college, having a job, getting freedom. Went to about 22 or 23 Met games that year. Uh, So I'm a little biased. But if they're going to bring back the Mojo Rising with this 2023 Mets team, 24 years later, I got to tell you something. They better bring it this team because that's a high bar. That was, in Mike Silva's opinion, the most fun season in, uh, in, in his lifetime. Uh, of any Mets season he's watched. So anyway, just wanted to get that out there. Please let me know. I thought I heard it in the background, but of course the broadcast, Gary, Keith, Ron, talking around the the broadcast. They have the camera close up on the players so you're hearing their chatter, and away you go. Lot to talk about here. The Baby Mets, is it Lindor who gave them that name? You know, athlete's logo there with the T-shirts. I mean, talk about a guy that's all over the Baby Mets. What do I think about the Baby Mets? You guys are probably all ready to say, Mike, you didn't want these Baby Mets on the team. You wanted them down in the minor leagues. Not true, but we'll talk about how important they are. And for me, their importance is more going forward than now, but we'll see. Um, Again, it comes back to the good old 40-year-old Cy Young Award winners. That's what it's all about. We'll talk about that. Good starting pitching is the key. What can the Mets take from playing the Tampa Bay Rays. They played the best team in baseball on paper. We'll see if that continues with the Rays. I think they're a little over-indexed. But I have an idea. The Rays triggered some thoughts in my mind. I'll talk about that. And then later, the Lindor trade. We've talked about that a ton on this show. More about the Lindor signing, not the trade. With the Indians, oh, I made the mistake. There it is. And And that's not intentional, everyone. That was a complete... Freudian slip with the Guardians come to down, the team formerly known as the Indians. And I could say Indians on the show. This is my show. I don't care if anybody is offended. Uh, would, you know, are you, is it fair to really at this point still debate Lindor? And we have a certain talk show host in this town saying that Mets fans will grow to hate Lindor. And I have to tell you, that's really despicable commentary from a guy that I like. 
because it's inciting the fan base to hate on a player, and I think that's one of the worst parts about playing in this town, so we'll get into that and talk a little bit about that. But uh, admit, admit it to me, and uh, you know I have a confession, too, to make in a little bit. I'll get to that in a little bit. You watch the Mets. They lose 8-5. to Meek come back with the Escobar home run in the ninth inning on Tuesday. Wednesday, they're down again. Ninth inning. And, you know, Alvarez is coming up. You're, you're staring down the barrel of 20 and 24. And I'll be honest. I was looking at the situation and, you know, basically saying, hey, you know, what are, uh, you know, what, where, where's this team headed? We, we all knew what this was going. I had talked about it with the back of the baseball card. And, you know, we chatted a little bit about how important this week was and how quickly this team could fall six, seven, eight, maybe staring at 10 games under 500. And even at six or seven or eight games under 500, you're talking about a good month of baseball needed to get just back to par, just back to 500, to be even in a conversation, to be in a wild card scrum. So at 20 and 24, which they were an out away from looking at that, you had to think, well, the worst case scenario is happening. You couldn't see a scenario where they were going to beat the Rays. You had this pesky Indians club. Yeah, they're under 500, but they got Tito Francona. They got a couple ex-Mets with access to grind. Ramirez, some good starting pitching, an elite closer, maybe the American League version of Diaz over there. So everything was headed towards disaster. And then, of course, and this is the silly part, the calls of firing Epler, firing Buck. I mean, you got even Ken Rosenthal over the athletics speculating about firing Buck. Let me put it to you this way. Nobody's getting fired. Nobody, there's no indication that Steve Cohen's George Steinbrenner. There's no indication that that has any kind of basis in reality. Let's just put it out there. Let's just stop. Like, it's almost like we're trying to relive or re- recreate something that's not real or put some kind of label on Steve Cohen that's not real. End of rant on there, because that's not my point. But let me just put it out there. But you knew that was going to get louder and louder and louder. I mean, you had the same talk show that I'll mention later saying that Buck's got 30 days or else. I mean, come on. It's fantasy land. And then, boom, Francisco Alvarez does the best Mike Piazza impress- impersonation. I mean, what a great impersonation by Alvarez hitting the, the second deck with his home run to tie the game. Mets fall behind again, and just when you think they're done, Bink McNeil, the existing star, dinks a single. Next, uh, what is it, next couple pitches later, Pete Alonso hits, which I have to say is the longest city field home run I've seen from a right-handed batter. Now, you could disagree, and I know StatCast, I think, had Alvarez's home run longer then Alonzo said, I don't know if they talk about velocity and how far it would go if it didn't hit the deck, but that was a moonshot. A Dave Kingman-type home run by Alonzo. Mets win. They walk it off. And then you see the 2022 Mets come back and reappear the next day in the day game with a Pete home run, good bullpen work, good starting pitching, Tyler McGill, and away you go. And if you thought that the excitement was over, well, no, it was just beginning with another walk-off coming back from two runs down on uh, Friday. Lindor telling Jason Kipnis, leadership that. BT from the Tiki and Tierney show, take that. Mets fans who don't want me on the team, take that. And then they go out and they sweep a doubleheader with, again, Marte finally joining the party. Late-inning home run heroics. Great starting pitching from both Scherzer and then Verlander in the nightcap. 
doing a lot of the little things. And again, the 2022 Mets reappear. And all of a sudden, you can take a deep breath, 26 and, uh, excuse me, 25 and 23, two games over, heading into a, you know, a moderately tough Chicago, Colorado is not an easy road trip. And you're starting to feel for the first time, because even when the Mets were 14 and 7, I mean, we did a show right after they had finished the, a very successful West Coast trip. You didn't feel good. Like, you haven't felt good about this team all season. You didn't feel good about it, uh, you know, in spring training when Diaz went down. And all the players were scattered about with the WBC. And then the season starts, and even though they were winning, you just didn't feel good about it. And now you can finally feel good about this Mets team because they were able to go out and show you who they really are. Who they really are, who you think they are going to be, and who their back of the baseball card, there's that thing again, indicates who they should be. And you got the two, and this is what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to this. If they're going to go anywhere this year in a short series, the health and the productivity of Scherzer and Verlander, your entire foundation, just like yet last year it was Scherzer and, and DeGrom, and I said in spring training this team will go as far as those two bring them, and we, the Mets were really lucky that with all the time those guys spent on the injured list all year, they were able to navigate a regular season, and again, when it came down to it, they didn't perform in the postseason. DeGrom did, Scherzer didn't. So that's what this is all about this year. But... Now you have another interesting storyline as the getting to know you phase wraps up here. And we're going to start to get into it another week or so after Memorial Day with, okay, we know who the 2023 Mets are. We're still trying to figure them out as recently as this weekend. And maybe we started to see a little bit about who they are. Now it's about what does this team need to get to where they need to be? And that's the baby Mets. And before we get into the baby Mets, I want to talk to you guys, though, real quick about, well, I want to talk to those listeners in New Jersey and Connecticut. I love you all, but specifically I wanted to talk to you guys in New Jersey and Connecticut. I have an awesome limited-time promo for new DraftKings users. If you haven't signed up for DraftKings, now's the perfect time if you're a listener to the Talking Mets podcast. Deposit and place a $5 or more wager on any sport to get $150 instantly added to your account and bonus bets. Win or lose. All you have to do is use our code Talking Mets, no G. It's Talking Mets, just leave the G out, not Talking Mets, no G, to sign up and redeem. Using our code Talking Mets is a great way to support the podcast. So if you don't yet have a DraftKings account, do me a solid and sign up with the code Talking Mets and place that first bet. Really could use the support for the show. New customers only, 21 and over, and physically present in New Jersey or Connecticut. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey or 888-789-7777 in Connecticut. Valid one offer per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and a $5 wager required. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets and expire seven days after being awarded. See full terms at DraftKings.com. So we want to get that out of the way. We always like to get our sponsors there due. The Noah's Arcades of the Talking Mets podcast. But that brings me to the baby Mets. And look, I've been pretty straight with everybody. I am big on players earning their position, earning their keep. Nothing should be given to, the, given to them because they're highly ranked on a prospect list or, you know, they're cost efficient. 
or they're young, so you know automatically everybody gravitates to them. They're homegrown, or because the fans want new energy and 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 youth. I mean, we've talked about this. The fans have zero, 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 less than zero say in the lineup card. Um, it's exciting to have homegrown teams, but in, in the same breath, I like them, you know, players to earn that. And that's the challenge that I'm sure the Mets put forth to Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos and Francisco Alvarez. And look, with the way they all hit in the minor leagues, especially this year for Vientos and Beatty, they did their part in AAA to show and work on some of the more less overt parts of the game, like defense and instincts and things like that. And when someone like Eric Chavez gives you a ring endorsement like uh, he did on Beatty, and you're hearing great things from Glenn Sherlock, who's been a catching coach for years about Francisco Alvarez, you got to start to listen. And then they come up, and they struggle, and they struggled last year, and they struggled at times this year, and they took their lumps. But over the last two weeks... And I'll, you know, Vientos had the big home run. You heard the highlights coming in. We'll put him aside for a minute. Alvarez and Beatty have shown great growth, great maturity, have assimilated into this team and lineup where, look, Alvarez is batting ninth. Beatty just started to move into the middle of the lineup. He was down at the bottom of the order. They've both looked tremendously improved on the defensive side. I have to tell you, Alvarez on the defensive side, with the exception of the footwork and on the transition on the throws, which that might be something that he's going to have to work on a little bit. And let's be fair, uh, throwing runners out in this current iteration of baseball is as much about the pitcher holding the runner on and the throws over to first and the new rules than it is the catcher's arm. But when I hear a guy like Max Scherzer talk about his work ethic, when I hear about an Eric Chavez talk about Beatty's work ethic, a Glenn Sherlock... When a guy like Buck Showalter, who, if you remember, was wildly resistant to moving Don Mattingly, who was in significant decline out of the number three hole, and Paul O'Neill's leading the league in batting average by a wide margin and competing for an MVP, a guy that is going to go to the well with his veterans till he can't go no more, putting one of these kids in the middle of the lineup and then the other one pretty much winning the catching job in a very competitive space where you have uh, a former top prospect now on the roster in Gary Sanchez. And you have a, a guy with a two-year contract in Nervaez coming back in another 30 days. And a pretty or historically decent defensive catcher in Tomas Nito, who's had some eye issues, which may be the reason why he's been really bad this year. You know, that's a competitive space for even a top prospect. And although these kids for the rest of this year are going to help the Mets potentially make the playoffs and maybe win a division, but I think this is more of a, like I've said, a wild card team. I think their development and the importance of these two kids and maybe where they're a little bit ahead, if you think about it, is more for next year because you look at this Mets roster and if we said last year was the best chance for them to win, it's becoming more apparent the creakiness of a Verlander and Scherzer. I mean, everybody was holding their breath with Scherzer going down the tunnel yesterday, thinking that something was wrong when it was a blister. I mean, you're holding your breath. Verlander has a bad start against Tampa, and you're holding your breath. Is that is that it? Has Father Time finally won? And you know if there's going to be any chance for the winter of Otani to go to the Mets, and for the Mets, who potentially in another year are going to need a couple of pitchers, maybe 
revamp that rotation like they did this past winter because nobody's really on a long-term contract except for Senga. They're going to need cost-controlled offensive talent because your first baseman who's carrying you and showed you again why he's the heart and soul of this team, there's different types of leaders. We'll get into that with Lindor later. Is going to probably make 25 to $30 million a year depending on how they structure a contract. You're going to need some guys pre-arb and into arbitration who have four, five, six years of some cost control becoming productive members of this lineup because you don't have a lot of outfield talent coming up along the way. Um, you got McNeil's salary increasing. We know what Nimmo's contract looks like. Pete's going to get paid. Lindor's making $32 million a year for the rest of our lifetime. So they're going to need, and that's where these kids come in. And you don't want them to be just component, you know, average, league average, below league average players. You want them to have the potential to be really good, maybe borderline all-star types. And both early into this situation are showing the potential for that. And they're going through the grind with a team that's competing and winning, which will only help their development. Think about players that came up like a Jeff Kent, a Ryan Thompson, with the worst team money can buy Mets. A Jeff Kent got, got better after he left the Mets. And went out to San Francisco. The environment that you grow up in has as much to do with how long it takes you to be successful. Or in the case of Ryan Thompson, maybe not have success because you're not around the right kind of group. So it's a perfect storm for these kids to not only learn but be productive and be productive for a team with championship aspirations. And we'll throw Vientos in there because out of the three, out of the three baby Mets, I'm not sure he's the one that's going to develop at the same level, and he's also more limited because of DH. But he didn't play a horrible third base, and if he can learn how to play the corners and give you some versatility, I'll put that with quotations because corner guys are not typically what I would consider versatile. If he could have an outfield as a glove and play a decent outfield, even better. Then it makes the conversation about Vogelback, who is an analytics guy because he walks a lot but is showing no power where that 107 OPS plus is a weak 107 OPS plus if there ever been one. It gives you more reason to say, you know, can I trade Vogel back like the Pirates did a year ago and get maybe a bullpen arm back or get a component pitcher back? They're going to need arms. They're going to need something. And give Vientos the everyday job. Now, it goes back to what I told you all about baby Mets. Everybody wants the baby Mets to be in there, do or die, sink or swim. That's not what this team's all about. You don't have two 40-year-old Hall of Famers at the top of the rotation, squeezing the last bit of juice out of them, and you just throw Vogel back. You throw Escobar, who, by the way, is becoming a nice bench piece, despite the fact that none of you wanted him on the team just, you know, as of like a week ago. Tommy Pham, another decent bench piece. You know, the numbers don't show it. He seems to hit the ball hard every time up. I know that's what they said about J.D. Davis. They gave up on J.D. Look what he's doing out in San Francisco. So I would, be, I would slow the roll in just handing things to these guys. And let me tell you another thing with Gary Sanchez, who there's been nothing but bad things I've heard about Gary Sanchez. Work ethic, Girardi, you know, didn't want to, you know, manage him. And that's one of the big reasons why the development of Sanchez and Girardi's inability to want to catch him, why Girardi was let go by the Yankees. Uh, You know, laziness. I mean, the guy's got a cannon for an arm, and he certainly has power. But, you know, a Gary Sanchez 2.0 that's not expected to be a Yankees top prospect and starting catcher who could be a guy once or twice a week to spell Alvarez with a good arm, the ability to hit the ball at the ballpark, uh, and maybe more if he puts it all together. You know, that old lightning in a bottle, that former, you know, 
scrappy guys get with the Yankees all the time. Glenn Allen Hill, Jose Vizcaino, Aaron Small, Sean Chacon, just name it. Can't the Mets get one of those guys? And I would not discount, and I know it's going to be hard because it's going to be a short span of time because you got the Nito uh, rehabilitation that won't be that long. You have Navarez in about a, uh, you know, a month. So the, Gary Sanchez has to prove himself quick, and I don't even know if he'll have the time. And look, there might be riots in front of City Field if they send Alvarez down just to keep Gary Sanchez or Navarez or Nito on the roster. But if Gary Sanchez has anything left, I would seriously consider him as a backup. And I'll tell you, don't discount the influence of Carlos Beltran on this organization. Think about what you heard when it was about Vientos coming up. They sent Beltran down there to, to, to watch him. You think Gary's now? I know Epler was in the organization when Gary Sanchez was drafted and all that other fun stuff, but you don't think Beltron, who played with Sanchez and was with the Yankees when Girardi was let go, uh, and and in 2019 was a big part of Cashman's uh, inner circle before he was hired as Mets manager. You don't think he had influence? He does. Tells you a lot. I think Carlos Beltron has a lot more influence on this organization than you think. So. You know, the baby Mets are important because I think bringing them up now is important because of the kind of team they're on. They can contribute and help. I think they're not going to be asked to shoulder the brunt of the load. It'll They can just be themselves. Look, nobody's going to get mad if Alvarez strikes out in the ninth inning the other day. They will get mad if Pete Alonso strikes out or if Marte strikes out or if McNeil doesn't come through. These kids, Beatty, Vientos, Alvarez with the exception of their effort level, which as long as it's there, nobody's going to give them much of a hard time because the stars that they've paid to be stars are expected to produce. So it's a perfect time, and they could learn in a positive environment what a Hall of Fame manager, yes, I'll say it, I think Buck's a Hall of Fame manager, and with a bunch of guys that are gamers, that put the time in, whatever you think, to me, that's exactly the kind of environment where these kids could grow. But at the end of the day, What this really comes down to is the starting pitching. And it's Verlander and Scherzer. They're going to pretty much run this thing one way or the other. You need to keep them healthy. You need to keep them consistently on the mound. You have to, you know, Senga will develop and do what Senga does. And then there's the back in the rotation. McGill who's starting to percolate a little bit. Carrasco, I think, is toast. Peterson, who I think single-handedly at 1-6, and six, has been one of the biggest reasons why the Mets got off to a bad start. I mean, you can pin a lot of it on a lot of things. Peterson being non-competitive is one of the biggest ones. And one of the reasons why you're starting to see the bullpen get burnt out a little bit. But, you know, as, they were, as Tampa came to town, it's all ties together. When Tampa came to town, I looked at what they were doing, and I found it interesting. So Tampa has very good starting pitching. They have, you know, Taj Bradley, who I was impressed with, you know, Zach Eflin, who we know from the Phillies, Sean McClanahan. Uh, but they also use, I guess I would call them openers, but relievers that go two or three innings. Uh, you know, Jalen Beeks and what is it? Josh Fleming. Is he more of a, of an opener there? Let's see. Can I, can I use him as an example? Yeah. You know, uh, a Josh Fleming, so, uh, so to speak, uh, there's another guy I was looking at and, um, you got, uh, uh, you know, Calvin Fortier, you know, you get, you know, Chirinos 
they bring guys in that will go two to three innings as openers, and they bring in another, you know, guys who go two innings here. And they basically do bullpen games. Now, I have been on record as not being a fan of the opener. I think you go out, you develop starting pitching, you develop guys that give you six innings, two runs, seven innings, three runs, guys like that. You know, what you got from Taiwan Walker and Carrasco last year is way better than rolling the dice with relievers who, look at Jalen Beeks. He was an opener earlier in the series. You know, a couple of days later, he came in out of the bullpen. There's a lot of uh, machinations of managing a bullpen, something the Bucks really good at that comes with an opener. But I look at the Mets situation with specifically, let's continue to see Senga develop traditionally. I don't think Senga's a guy that you want to mess with. And obviously Verlander and Scherzer are not. But assuming that Quintana is not coming back anytime soon, okay, and you've got McGill and you've got the five spot. And you still probably are about a month or so away. And I think Quintana doesn't come back till the all-star break. Let's let's call it like we let's be honest with ourselves. You know, I think Carrasco's done, uh, you know, McGill, third time around the order, iffy, but he's starting to improve. At the very least, maybe you take the Carrasco slot in the rotation. And this is something I think would help the bullpen. Because the bullpen then has Tommy Hunter, Steven Nagosak, you know, Dominic Leone. Uh, they kind of be- become overused. And when these guys get blown, the door's blown out of them, they come in in the fourth inning, and then that whole game, you're kind of piecing it together. I'm wondering if you flip the script, and it would help you organize your bullpen where you would have more certainty, and you wouldn't have to overuse them or have the shuttle be overkill. Because I think Jeff Brigham falls in that category. I mean, Jeff Brigham's a guy that maybe you could go, and I know they he pitched the eighth inning the other day. Maybe he's an opener, and he goes the first two innings. And then you go to your Carrasco for three or four innings. Don't make him go more than one time around the order. Maybe you do Tommy Hunter for two or three innings or Nagosik for three innings, and then you do Carrasco for three innings. Basically, you use Hunter, Nagosik, maybe Brigham, and I think Brigham's kind of getting pushed into a more higher leverage situation. You use your starter like a Carrasco, the normal like three or four innings, but you take a little pressure off him, get the game going. Don't make him see the lineup more than once. Maybe you flip it one and a half times, and then you get to your eighth inning, and now it's a regular ball game at that point. You could use your Adovino. You could use your Robertson. You could use your Raley. You could use your Drew, Drew Smith. And you pretty much now say, okay, I used that guy today. Tomorrow I got Verlander and Scherzer. I'm not going to use those guys. And you could space them out a little bit where, you know, maybe now when McGill comes in, maybe McGill gets the start, but you got these guys piggybacking him out. You got to start to piece that together. Now, this only works if... Verlander, Scherzer, and then to a lesser degree, Senga, give you the six or seven innings. The guy who's going to give you the most length is clearly Verlander. That, to me, is obvious. Scherzer, less so, unless his aches and pains dull a little bit. And Senga could be a guy, and like I said during the offseason, he's a guy that could do what he did his last start and be really good. And, you know, he could easily go and get clocked out in the third inning. So I'm looking at the Rays, and by the way, Talk about some mustard on those hot dogs. I would calm down. I mean, Tampa's had a good start, 13-game winning streak. They got some guys significantly playing above their heads, especially offensively, but not the not the show to talk about that. When they play the Mets in the World Series, we'll talk about that. But um, it's something to think about. Should the Mets start to employ the opener with some of those arms, give them some certainty, maybe 
not overuse them because they're almost on a schedule, which is very hard to get relievers on a schedule. You know, Buck almost did that last year with how he used or wouldn't use guys back-to-back and push guys like Joely Rodriguez and Trevor May and some of these guys, you know, Tommy Hunter when he was brought in and, and really was able to keep the Ottavino and, and, and Rayleigh and Drew Smiths to specific games, which you still want to do. But you don't want to overuse these guys then where you're going to go to some of these guys at games that are losing causes. You're hoping that this is a moot point, that Carrasco pitches better, that McGill pitches better. But with McGill and Carrasco, more so with the Carrasco turn rotation, until Quintana comes back. And Quintana might be on a pitch count, so you might need to incorporate this a little bit too. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world to piggyback or use an opener and then bring the starter in. You know, you're basically bridging the starter to get through the lineup and try to get this game into the seventh inning so that you have a normal-ish chance to be a version of the 2022 Mets that we know is a successful blueprint, and you sort play out this week. Yeah, they won a couple of wonky games with the walk-offs, 10-9, you know, uh, 8-7, but every team does that. We're talking about the traditional games that they won, like they won the second game of the doubleheader on Sunday, like they won the Thursday afternoon game. Like they won the, you know, I know the bullpen blew Sunday, the game one, but you get the point. So for the first time all year, we feel like the Mets are the Mets. This is this this is this is the first time. Even with the, the strong start, it just didn't feel right. Remember we said, do the Mets make sense? None of this makes sense. How's this team 14 and 7? And now off day, heading to Chicago. Now you start to feel like, okay. Maybe the 2023 season is starting. Maybe the malaise is over. It's almost like when Alonzo hit that home run and it hit the upper deck, it's almost like they were in a coma and they woke up. Something snapped them out of it. Now, no Diaz in the bullpen. You saw some of the ramifications about that with the overuse of Robertson in game one. You saw that. You still need Marte and Canada to get going. Marte returning to normal, and it might take him a while. Look, he had serious surgery in the offseason. This whole year might be a wash. But if you could get Marte to start to inch back towards who you know he could be, big, big, big win for this team. And with the kid, because you want the kids, the baby Mets, not to feel any pressure. You want them to be able to figure themselves out by being themselves and being component parts of this lineup. The fans are going to put pressure. The media is going to put pressure. None of these kids are saviors. There, there's no way that you could ask that of them. But if you get Marte and Canna getting back to career norms, and we know what the rest of the lineup does with Lindor and Marte, uh, Lindor and McNeil and Alonzo and Nimmo, then you got something, and you're building for the future while still winning now. So that's what I got for you to open up this show. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're still having the media. I left the whole Lindor debate go. I think it was very mean-spirited what the WFAN, uh, Brandon Tierney's w- of WFAN did, talking about Lindor. I think it was a way to incite the fan base to hate one of their players, a talk radio staple to fire up the airwaves and get some cheap ratings. Uh, I think looking back now, we're th- year three of Lindor. We saw Jimenez and Rosario come to town. We could fairly assess the Lindor trade. And I've been a critic of Lindor as well. So let's take a quick break. When I come back, let's revisit the Lindor trade right after he had a chance to beat the Cleveland Indians. Oh, wait, the Guardians. I'm sorry. Not once, but twice 
in this past series. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. As the Mets stabilize their season, all right, now come the Guardians. Pesky team, uh, awful stats with guys in running position or, or uh, in runners in scoring position. Yeah. Not a lot of power. They got to beat you with their wheels, catching the baseball. We know how they play. We saw them the Yankees last year in the playoffs. Not a real big threat, but they are pesky. If you're not careful, they could clip you. So I want to know if the Met fan, if they had a chance to redo it, would you still do that trade with Lindor and to a lesser extent Carrasco for Jimenez, uh, Rosario, and the two other kids? Because there's no way that I would. When you throw in the money that they're making, yeah, okay, I don't know how any Met fan would say, yeah, I'll still do that trade. I, I, I'll take it a step further. I said this to Hoff before. I think that Met fans are going to grow to hate Francisco Lindor. You heard Brandon Tierney, and again, I don't want to make this about Brandon Tierney. Brandon Tierney has actually come on this show, not the Mets version of this, but when I've done other iterations of talk radio, I could call Brandon Tierney on my cell phone now and you know maybe get him on the phone. I don't know if he'd pick up for me. I've texted him in the past. We've had some cordial conversations. I'm not saying we're friends, cordial conversations. And he is a great story of a guy that hustled to get to where he's at. No doubt about it. I mean, if you look at his story in radio, guy, I think he worked in Detroit, you know, did Knicks pregame at MSG, you know, worked the St. John's gig, still does St. John's stuff, I believe, and, you know, made it to WFAN, you know, CBS Sports Radio first, and then WFAN with Tiki Barber. And really, since he and Tiki have really gotten that midday show, um, it's gotten to the point where you could tell they're Yankees fans. They don't like the Mets. And one of their best pastimes is tweaking the Mets fan. Probably because the guys that work there that are Mets fans are your typical woe is me Mets fans that are easy to tweak. They're not the intelligent listeners of the Talking Mets podcast. And I think there's more of you 
the silent majority of the Talking Mets podcast than there is of, you know, that element that we talk about. But for him to say that Mets fans will grow to hate Lindor, that's a certain level of trolling that's really trying to have a self-fulfilling prophecy to fire up Mets fans to dislike the player. Before I get into why the only thing bad about Lindor is the length of the contract and the impulsiveness of giving him an extension, which we've talked about a thousand times on this show, so maybe it's new to WFAN, but this is a topic that we've had since 2021 when I was first guessing given the contract. But I'll say this. Lindor is a guy that's a good guy, stays out of trouble, family guy, plays every day, plays hurt, is certainly flawed offensively, a little streakier than we like, strikes out more than we like, probably tries to hit for more power that has hurt his batting average as he's gotten older. He's an elite defensive shortstop, has shown his skills more than ever this year now that the shifts are banned. And if you want to talk, I know Jason Kipnis, his former teammate, criticized his leadership earlier this week. If you want to talk about leadership, there are different types of leaders. The Mets have Pete Alonzo, who is the heart and soul in terms of leadership to this team. He's a guy that says, put me on my back. I'm going to will my way to, to win with my performance. Lindor is a leadership of being out there and, and playing every day and exemplifying hard work. You know, not everybody's Ray Knight, the rah-rah type. You have your Mike Piazzas, who are guys that go out there, work hard, maximize their talent. Keith Hernandez, who's cerebral. You know, Pete, who's, you know, uh, just a force of nature. And then you have Lindor. So not every leader is created equally. And the fortunate thing is for this Mets team, they're not relying on Lindor to be the leader. He's one of many different types of leaders they have in that clubhouse with the veteran leadership that they have. And positionally, it's Pete, and it's probably Lindor. And, um, you know, maybe for the Latino guys, Marte also falls into that as well. I think Nimmo exhibits captain and leadership qualities with the way he approaches his craft. So that's a different story. So to say you're going to hate Lindor, I don't know why you would hate a guy that plays hurt, plays every day, plays the game the right way. Yeah, you know, I know that some people get annoyed about the, you know, jovial way that he approaches his craft on the field, especially when the Mets are losing. But to me, that's a good thing. You know, baseball shouldn't get you down where you're moping around. You know, Jeff McNeil is always going to be mopey if things aren't going well. Lindor is never going to be like that. That doesn't mean one cares more than another. It may mean that one processes things differently than another. You can't judge two players. Not one way to process success and failure. That's fact. I don't care. I don't have to give you any, you know, any psychological degrees to tell you that. Look, as far as the trade, you saw Rosario this weekend. You saw uh, uh, Jimenez. I liked Jimenez. The brief time he was with the Mets, I said he'd be a component player, maybe a more Vizquel type. I know Vizquel's a borderline Hall of Famer. That's debatable. Uh, really good glove. Maybe a Furcal. I think Rafael Furcal was a name that I used. Maybe that's a better analogy. That's a really good player. All-star last year, 17 home runs. I think he goes on to have a career like Furcal. That is a very useful player. That's not a Hall of Famer. You know, Lindor is top five at the position. He falls just out of the top five this year. Since he joined the Mets in 2021, there's only one player at shortstop that's been better than Lindor with wins above replacement, and that's Trey Turner. 
who had an incredible year with the Dodgers last year. That says a lot. Now, Rosario uh, has gotten better. His instincts and his defense still stink. I mean, when he was here, what drove me nuts about Rosario was that it seemed like every ground ball up the middle just eluded Rosario. It's like ground ball past the diving Rosario. Those are balls that Lindor gobbles up. Nice bat, you know, has some pop, you know, could hit. You saw in game one of the doubleheader yesterday, he, you know, he makes contact, dinks a ball in that caused some problems. But a very replaceable guy. Now, remember, this is a guy, this is why prospect lists get tricky. I think just like Alvarez, he was like number two on the prospect list in all of baseball, maybe number one, depending on who you talk to. And he's a good player, but not going to the Hall of Fame, guys. And then the two kids, Josh Wolf. I just looked them up before I came on air. Seven walks per nine innings down in high A. Isaiah Green, the kid who had all the tools, uh, hitting a buck 50 in high A, striking out 37% of the time. You didn't give up anything. You know, you might say one day, oh, man, I wish I had Kelnick on this team, even though you got Diaz, and I think that debate is dead. And I'm sure when the Mets play the Mariners later this year and Kelnick, who's having a good year, uh, comes to town, or I think they go to Seattle. They go to Seattle this year, probably. That debate might get sparked up again. I have a hard time believing any of these guys, including Jimenez, who I like, will spark that debate. Jimenez is a useful player, but they have a version of Jimenez, which is Jeff McNeil. And if you look at this team right now, they're better with Lindor at short than Jimenez at short. And they're certainly better with Lindor at short than Rosario at short. Now, you want to criticize the contract? $32 million a year for 10 years, fine. They could have waited. He had a not-so-great 2021. His market would have probably shrunk a little bit. Maybe they could have got him with you know a six- or seven-year deal. That's Steve Cohen's money, and thus far, it has not impacted them from going out and from making other moves. It didn't impact them from getting not one but two Cy Young Award pitchers. It did not stop them from signing Carlos Correa, albeit how short-lived that was. And I certainly don't think it's going to stop them from trying to get Shohei Otani. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, it was important at the time because it signified that this was a different era of Mets baseball. You can't look at the Lindor situation and look at it black and white in normal baseball terms because... The owner was suffering, the new owner, from the stench of COVID, from the stench of the prior ownership, from the chaos of the past five years of the Wilpon ownership. He needed credibility. He needed it fast. And if he didn't sign that contract, which the media and the fans who, let's say the media who's one criticizing it, the fans who maybe not so much the fans, more the media criticizing it, in this case, Brandon Tierney, would have killed them. You know, if you had Brandon Tierney on the air back in March of 2021, he'd be killing them if they didn't sign him. So you can't have it both ways. Now, having contracts like Lindor on the roster make it that much more important to have Alvarez and Beatty and Vientos to a lesser degree, the Baby Mets, become productive members of this team quickly so that you could get the best out of them during their pre-arbitration, cost-effective arbitration years. And then you figure them out after they hit year six, whether they want to stick around or, you know, what, who knows at that point. And with the state of pitching in this organization, that's even more important. Like, that's the real big thing. 
those kids are important because you can't pay big do- top dollar for your homegrown and imported positional talent and pay top dollar for the pitching. The pitching is always going to cost you more, and you don't have many options in pitching. So to me, guy who plays every day, good guy, nothing to dislike about him as a person, uh, plays hurt, played with a fractured finger last year when they needed him, when Scherzer went down and there was no DeGrom. And let's face it, without you know, when he and Pete Alonso, look at the numbers last year, were at their best, the Mets won the most during that 101-win season. Yeah, McNeil and Marte Nimmo were big, but those two guys, when they played their best, and they played at the same time their best, that's when the Mets really went. And you saw them do a walk-off hit on Friday, really storybook situation, big home run on Sunday night baseball. I don't know much more you could ask for. To say that this is a player that Mets fans will grow to hate tells me that you're just making trouble for trouble's sake. And that is exactly what's wrong with talk radio in this town. That is exactly why Steve Cohen had so much trouble recruiting people to work here. Not because of anything that happened with his hedge fund or morality issues that these guys have. Because, let's face it, money is green and everybody could go could go to anybody's closet and find some kind of contradiction or morality conundrum. Nobody's perfect. Anyone who tells you they're perfect and there's no morality issue in their, in their background... Let's face it, they're lying. Some are bigger than others, but they're lying. To me, that's everything that's wrong with media in this town. Patently unfair to Lindor. And Mets fans, if you're listening, and you could pass it along to those who don't listen to this show, that is a clip. That is a statement that they have to throw in the garbage. They cannot pay attention to that. We are past this topic in debate. Cleveland came to town. He had his hits. He had his reunion. We had a chance to discuss this trade. You know, maybe it comes up five years from now. Maybe Jimenez turns around and is uh, Ozzie Smith and Rafael Forcal and, uh, you know, Omar Vizquel all wrapped into one, the best of, of all three, and, and he's a Hall of Famer. And then you say, well, but you know what? He's already three, four years in the league. I think you kind of know. You look at his minor league numbers. What you see now is what you get. You probably got the best of the version of him last year. He doesn't walk a ton. So he's predicated on contact, and guys like that offensively are going to go up and down. He's going to give you a really good glove. He's a component player, exactly what I told you he was if you listened to the show back in 2020. Lindor is not a component player. He's an all-star. And yes, he's not winning the same gold gloves that he did in Cleveland, and he's not playing for the MVP, and, and maybe he's you know, compromising batting average and consistency for power. He's not the first guy to do that. But he's a damn good shortstop. He's second in the last three years to trade Turner. And not by much. You're going to say that the the second best shortstop, arguably tied for 1A with Trey Turner, is a guy that you should hate? What do you want, Omar Cantania back? You want Ruben Tejada back? You want, you'd rather have Rosario and Jimenez up the middle? You know what kind of conversations we'd be having if Rosario's playing shortstop? You see that ball he dropped on that line drive on Friday? You know, they were talking about moving into the outfield when he was with the Mets. And I laughed because I was like, the guy has no instincts. I remember he played left field in Kansas City. The only game he played in the outfield, he came in late in a tight game. And I was holding my breath when the ball got hit to him. He made the play. So, you know, that's my little rant about Lindor, talk radio. I don't want to talk about this anymore. We've had this conversation. You know where I stand with Lindor. It's not my money. And as long as it's not preventing... um, you know, them from signing more players, fine. 
I'm not in favor of 10-year deals, but everybody's getting them now because it's like credit cards because of inflation. You got to stretch out the payments. Welcome to the, you know, United States financial situation in 2023. It ain't going to get any better, guys. I don't think you need to have a high-level economics degree to know that. So anyway, let's take a quick break. Wrap up your listening to Talk About's podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at mikesilva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, talkingmetspodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Talking Mets podcast. Fun show, guys. You had uh, a chance to watch the doubleheader recharge come to you Monday night. Um, what's coming up? So Memorial Day's coming up. And uh, we'll play the show by ear a little bit. late, Not too late of a start. I think the 3 o'clock start in Colorado this Sunday, those are always, you know, now at the pitch clock, it's not as bad. Colorado games, you say, oh, that's a 7 o'clock, 3-and-a-half-hour, 3-hour, 40-minute jammy in Colorado. They won't be done till almost 7 o'clock, but, um, you know, maybe sooner with the pitch clock. Then you have the holiday. So maybe Sunday night, maybe you push it to Monday. Don't worry, we're going to get back to Sunday shows. And, uh, you know, with the holiday, you know, you'll be able to spend your Memorial Day listening to a Talking Mets podcast, whether it be early in the day, late in the day. Be, don't worry. I'm coming to you. I'm not going anywhere. Now, here's the big thing. So if you're fans of the Talking Mets, you know that the official end of the quote-unquote getting-to-know-you phase is usually Memorial Day. It's the first time it's almost 60 games in when, uh, you know, we look at the team and say, okay, now we know who the team is. It's funny. Just a week ago, I wasn't sure. I think it's crystallized a little bit, but we'll be able to get in and say, okay, this is who the Mets are in 2023. This is what they need, we think. And and we'll be spending the good part of the next eight weeks leading up to the trade deadline playing into that a little bit. Now, the good news is, unless something drastically changes this week and they do a tailspin and they revert back, we're not talking about a team that, let's face it, we could easily be talking about how the Mets are a week or two away from seriously starting to think about what can they sell off. I know it's early to say that. It's hard to say that in a wild card, multiple wild card scenario. But believe me, those thoughts were going through your mind. Well, I don't think that those thoughts are things that we have to worry about right now. So the fun part about coming up will be, you know, big homestand coming up by the time we come back on the air on the road with Colorado and Chicago. Then they come home for the Phillies and the Blue Jays. They got... The Hall of Fame ceremony, Leiter and Hojo and those guys getting inducted to the Mets Hall of Fame. So we'll probably do something fun with that. So there's a lot of fun stuff coming up. And I think the best part about this show is the Mets have finally arrived. Like It's like 2023 finally started. And we had the NHL playoffs and the NBA playoffs. If you're a hockey fan or a basketball fan, and maybe you're a big football fan and you're more interested in the Aaron Rodgers and the draft, and what the Giants drafted, and all that stuff. So there was plenty of other New York sports things to occupy yourself while you were trying to figure out if you wanted to invest in the Mets. Well, with one swing of the bat and some baby Mets coming up and contributing, one swing of the bat by Pete Alonzo and the baby Mets contributing, 
Now you feel like you're back. You feel like it's 2022. It felt like 2022 for the really the first time all year this past week. Can the Mets continue that momentum? Can they go on the road and continue that momentum? Look, all they have to do is really win two out of three here, six out of ten there, a couple of seven and three stretches. Then you look up and it's the All-Star break. You're 10, 12, 13 games over 500, and away you go. And in a three-wild-card world, uh, you know, 88 wins is probably enough. And when you look at how some of the other competition is faring, the Phillies struggling, the Padres struggling, you know, does the the Pirates or the D-backs, the Marlins, they scare you enough to say the Mets can't compete over the long haul with those teams? I think you know the answer. So, appreciate you guys joining me for another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on a Monday. The rain wreaked havoc again on our show, but... And Sunday Night Baseball. We probably would add a Monday show because of Sunday Night Baseball. But anyway, another fun edition. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Want to thank the good folks of the Fan-Sided Podcasting Network as well as risingapple.com for their support. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week, Memorial Day weekend. Till then, take care, everybody. Peace.